Good morning and welcome to Echoes of Calvary. This is your host, Greg Sweeting. Thank you for opening your home to us this morning. I invite you to now open your hearts and worship with us as we share from the Word of God. Stay with us as we share comments and illustrations with a spiritual application, present special music to call us to worship, and in a few minutes, Pastor Alan Lee will come to share insights from Scripture and explain how to apply God's Word that we might grow to be complete in Christ. I sat in my seat and strapped on my seatbelt. The jet blue flight was getting ready to leave Nassau for Fort Lauderdale. The stewardess was reviewing the safety instructions for us to ensure that we would know what to do if there was an emergency during our flight. When she referred to the several emergency exits, I noticed a woman over on the other side of the plane turn and her eyes searched for the locations of the emergency exits being described to us. How unusual, I thought. You don't often see people being so meticulous and concerned to understand how to react and where to go if there was, in fact, an emergency or an accident during our flight. Most people, as I have observed over the years, are very nonchalant and aloof, even detached, when it comes to paying attention to these safety announcements. The frequent flyers probably feel they're too sophisticated and familiar to need this information all over again. Some may be too afraid to listen, believing it would be better not to talk about such things. Some are just plain rude and ignorant. That's blunt, but I guess I feel this way. When that woman looked around, past me, searching for the emergency door, I became aware that most of the other people around me were oblivious to those stewardess efforts to keep us in safe and informed. They just carried on their conversations with, with each other, partially obscuring the safety announcements for the rest of us. Not only was this rude and arrogant, it was also exposing the rest of us to additional risk, for if there was to be an emergency during our flight, many of us who would try to follow the instructions being given to us would not be able to function properly because we were unable to hear all of the important instructions given to us. But it also proves to me that my hypothesis about flyers on airplanes is correct. I looked ahead of me, and that two seats, they were filled with a middle-aged man and woman. They both spoke English and Spanish. During the safety announcement, they were talking without taking a break. The woman and the youngster behind me were also engaged in a constant stream of arguing over something or the other. All around, very few that I could see paying any attention to that stewardess. They were all exposing my wife and me to additional risk. One of the comments made in this announcement is usually something about listening carefully because each plane is different and layouts can change, so we should listen and be aware. These people ignored the advice with complete abandon. God help us all if there was to be that feared accident. Very few would really know what to do. There's a light that is drawn through the ages. On that line stands an old rugged cross on that cross a battle is raging 
for the gain of man's soul or its loss. On one side march the forces of evil. All the demons and the devils of hell But on the other, the angels of glory And they meet on Golgotha's The earth shakes with the force of the conflict And the sun, it refuses to shine For there hangs God's Son in the ballet Through the darkness he cries It is finished The battle is over It is finished There'll be no The battle was still raging Not all prisoners of war had come home These were battlefields of my own making I didn't know that the war had been won And I heard that the king the agent He had fought all life's battles for me And victory Victory was mine for the claiming And now, praise His name, I'm free It is finished, the battle The end 
Before my flight landed in Fort Lauderdale, safely, I'm pleased to say, I couldn't help but consider how close this story is to people who hear the message of salvation over and over again, but who are preoccupied with their own lives and, coupled with repeated familiarity of the message, can numb a person and crowd out the still, small voice of conviction when it does come. Like the couple in front of me on the plane, while life-saving critical information is being presented by a dedicated and knowledgeable person, some allow their minds and attention to be distracted and focused on other less crucial and unimportant facts. Unlike the woman who heard the information and confirmed the information being given to her, preparing herself to be equipped to take the correct action should she need to, some people seem not to be aware of how crucial is the information being given to them. The Lord Jesus said that if he was to be lifted up, as he was on the cross of Calvary, he would draw all men to himself. Then again we read in Scripture, there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. When this kind of message is being shared, we should listen, and listen carefully. When we stand before the Lord on that last day, it will be too late to take action then. Listen carefully, my friend, when the Holy Spirit speaks to you. Don't let the familiarity of the message dull you to how very crucial your response must be. Listen carefully and be prepared to do as instructed. Then you will be saved.
Now with his message for today, here is our pastor, Alan Lee. Good morning. He is risen from the dead, just as he said. Those words have been ringing down throughout the centuries, down the corridors of time. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Friends, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is still one of the major teachings of Christianity that separates it from all other religions that make a claim for the heart, faith, and mind of man. None other can point you to the grave of its founder and say, He's not here. He's risen. None. But, as fantastic as this is, for the resurrection to be of any value to us today, we've got to realize that this vital historical fact has a vital practical significance as well. Let me illustrate. It is this historical fact that motivates many of you to attend a church service today. You will go to celebrate a historical fact, an event that happened more than 2,000 years ago. For some, unfortunately, you won't see the church again for another year, with the possible exception of your celebrating another historical event, the birth of Jesus Christ, on a day that we call Christmas, but I call the Incarnation Day. But what does this historical fact of the resurrection do for you? What does it mean to you? But not only today as you attend the service, but also tomorrow or next week, next Lord's Day. Will it bring you out to a Bible class or prayer meeting? If it doesn't, do you really believe in the true meaning of the resurrection? You say, well, I'm going to church this morning. At least give me credit for that. Well, I really thank you for that. But if you only go to merely celebrate a historical event as an historical event, then in keeping with the spirit of the New Testament regarding the purpose of gathering together as God's people, I must also reply to you in the words of the great apostle Paul. When, writing to the Corinthians, who had reduced the observance of the Lord's Supper to a cliquish, smoggish board, they came out of the service all right. But in spite of this, this is what he said about them. I do not praise you. I do not praise you for coming for the Lord's Supper. Why? Because you come together not for the better, but for the worse. That's the Apostle Paul. What was he saying? He was saying, if we miss the true purpose for our worship, it's a waste of time to go through the motions at a meeting. My friends, I'm convinced that many Christians just go through the motions of observing Resurrection Day. They miss the true essence of its meaning and significance. To them, it's only Easter, whatever that means. All they think about is bunnies and colorful eggs. Now, I do not mean to imply that the resurrection of Christ is something that we are to observe only by coming to church services or meetings. No, far be such a thought from my mind or yours. What I am concerned about this morning is, does the resurrection of Jesus Christ make a difference in your life as a believer, Lord's Day through Saturday, at home, at work, or at school? If it doesn't, simply attending a church service on this day is of little value, if any, to you, spiritually speaking. Does the power of the fact of the resurrection make a difference in the way you live? I remember a message preached by Dr. William Culbertson, who was president of Moody Bible Institute while I was a student there. His message was entitled, Do You Really Believe in the Great Doctrines of the Faith? 
And he went through all of the doctrines, the incarnation, the virgin birth, redemption, propitiation, and so on. But then he came to the doctrine of the resurrection. He said to his audience, don't tell me that you believe in the resurrection if you're still living in your sin. His remarks were directed towards the non-Christian, the unbeliever. But I say the same thing to you today as well. To those of you who have not yet accepted Christ as your Savior, but you are attending church services on this special day. Don't tell me that you believe in the resurrection of Christ if you are still living in your sin. Your attendance at an Easter service in itself does not avail you one iota of grace as far as your salvation is concerned. If the power of the resurrection has not been applied to your life by faith in Christ, you are still on your way to a Christless eternity the Bible calls the lake of fire. And notice I didn't say hell, because you see, the hell isn't the end of it. Hell will be cast into the lake of fire. But then Dr. Culbertson directed his remarks at the Christian. And you know what? He said the same thing. He said, if you are a believer, don't tell me that you believe in the resurrection if you are the defeated Christian and do not have power over sin in your life. Because if you are, you don't. You don't really believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ as long as sin is still dominating your life. It is as simple as that, he said. I want to re-echo that message today. Don't tell me that you believe in the resurrection of Christ if sin still dominates your life. Because if it does, you don't. You see, my friends, the whole point of the resurrection was to provide the basis for and means of living victoriously over sin as a Christian. So, in effect, no one who is still dominated by sin can truly say that they believe in the resurrection of Christ, at least not with a belief that is genuine, because according to James, true, genuine living faith is always followed by works or a way of life that demonstrate that faith or belief. This is the truth Paul deals with regarding the resurrection in Romans chapter 6. In this passage, the apostle goes to great lengths and into much detail to show that because Jesus died to sin and was raised again to a new sphere and kind of life, so the believer in him has also died to sin and has already been raised to a new realm of spiritual life, one that is free from the power, control, and dominion of sin. Paul emphasizes the point that whatever happened to Christ in his death on Good Friday as well as in his burial and resurrection, it also happened to us who truly believe in and upon him, and that unless we are experiencing power over sin in our daily lives, none of these historical facts actually mean anything to us at all, no matter how much we say we believe in them. In fact, the Apostle says, this goes not only for Resurrection Day, but for Good Friday as well. Now, whenever I read or study this passage, a song I used to know a long time ago comes to mind. In it were the words, love and marriage go together like horse and carriage. Now, not only does one must come before the other, but neither can you one have one without the other and still have something that works properly. Easter or Resurrection Day and Good Friday are just like that. The death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you cannot have one without the other. And before you can have the one, resurrection, you must have the other, death. Or the Christian life just won't work. It cannot. 
you cannot experience the resurrected life of Christ unless and until you have experienced his death. That is, his kind of death. You cannot be raised into newness of life unless, first of all, you are buried in his death. Would you say, Pastor Lee, that sounds all well and good, but very technical. What does it mean? How does it all work out in my life so I could make it work on a daily basis? I'm really glad you asked that question because that's the essence of the question that Paul seeks to answer in Romans chapter 6. Notice how he begins it in verse 1, and I quote, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? The New Living Testament puts it this way. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death also? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. End of quote. The greater underlying truth that Paul is seeking to demonstrate here, friends, is why it is impossible for a true child of God to continue living in a life of sin. That is, to be dominated by a sinful lifestyle. You see, Paul's teachings that salvation was by grace through faith rather than on works through human efforts, and that God's superabounding grace lavishly covers any sin man can ever commit, may have caused some to conclude that if that were the case, then they could go out and do as they please, and so bring glory to God through their sinning. Because the more they sinned, as Paul said, the more of God's grace would be seen. Paul goes on to explain that it is our union with Christ that resulted in our dying with Christ. God baptized us into his death. In other words, he identified us with the death of Jesus Christ. He attributed to us the actual experience and effects of the death of Jesus Christ. His death was and is our death also. Whatever it meant to Jesus, it means also to a believer in him. Jesus died for the penalty of our sin. When we receive him by faith, we place our faith also in his death for us. And that fact that he took our place on the cross means that we don't have to face that penalty any longer ourselves. We have been incorporated into the death of Christ. Now, the baptism here in this passage refers to our being placed into the body of Christ. Paul explains this in 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen, where he says, For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Paul is saying, my friends, that the same thing that is true of Jesus Christ is true of believers. In Christ, we too have effectively cut off our relationship with the world and reign of sin. For what purpose? Paul answers, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. That's what resurrection is all about for us today. Why were we identified with the death and burial of Jesus Christ? So that like him, we might be raised to live a new life. That means new as compared to the old life that was lived under the power and dominion of sin. In other words, in Christ, God crucified us so that we may enter an entirely new sphere of spiritual life, a victorious one, 
based on the resurrected life of Jesus Christ himself. My friends, that's what resurrection is all about. That's what Easter is all about. And so today, if you are not experiencing this kind of qualitative life over sin, the resurrection of Jesus Christ actually means nothing to you. In fact, if you are not living this kind of life, perhaps even Good Friday does not mean anything to you. Because, you see, as I explained before, without death, there can be no resurrection. In other words, if you have not applied the death of Jesus Christ to your life, it is impossible for you to apply his resurrection to your life. You must die to live. Paul makes this clear in Romans 6, verse 5, where he says, If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. Actually, to be accurate, Jesus died a different kind of death than we do, even though we are united with that death. You see, he died for sin, not only to sin, but we die only to sin, not for sin. We die to sin the same way he died, but we do not die for sin. Only Christ could do that. But notice, if it is an actual fact that we have been identified with the death of Christ, it automatically follows that we are also automatically identified with him in his resurrection. This is where faith comes in the believer's life. You cannot have one without the other. Death to sin results in resurrection life and power. In other words, resurrection to life. Now, it's important to understand that the apostle is not talking about the resurrection to come sometime in a distant future. No, my friends, he's talking about a resurrection that has already occurred. It occurred when Christ's resurrection occurred, and it happens to us practically when we place our faith in him and come to realize these wonderful truths. One of the fantastic truths we usually miss here is that with his resurrection, Jesus brought into existence an entirely new sphere of life for the believer, one which did not exist prior to his resurrection, and one in which only those who share in his death and resurrection can experience and participate. It is a new spiritual kingdom over which Jesus is Lord, Master, and King. It is a sphere, a kingdom in which sin has no right whatsoever to reign over or control its subjects. It is a sphere ruled over by Jesus Christ alone, a sphere in which the one goal and desire objective of its subjects is to be subject to Jesus Christ and him alone. This is the deep and wonderful truth that Paul teaches here about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, we do not normally talk about this when we come to this time of the year, but nonetheless, it is the core of the resurrection experience of Jesus Christ and the believer. So let me ask you, as we conclude our message today, one vital question. Are you dead to sin? Have you truly been not only to the cross, but on the cross with Jesus Christ? The resurrection can mean nothing to you unless and until you die with Jesus Christ. If you haven't experienced Good Friday in your life, then you haven't and will never be able to experience the resurrection of Jesus Christ in your life. I trust, though, that you will do this today by placing faith in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and experience the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. As always, this is Pastor Lee saying, 
sila, think, and act on these things. You have been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church in Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship service begins this morning at 11 o'clock in the sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We extend an invitation to you to join us on these occasions. If you would like to contact the church or Pastor Lee, address your letters to Echoes of Calvary, Post Office Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And so we come to an end of this broadcast. I invite you to think about the message this morning. Consider the one who is our Savior and Lord. Grow to be complete in Him. And remember, as echoes from Calvary stir in your heart, keep listening for that shout, Maranatha, the Lord is coming soon. Great command is promised, he will surely come again. I am listening every moment for the mighty trumpet sound. What a time we'll have together when the saints shall leave the ground. happen in a moment, Jesus Christ could come again, I am listening every moment, for the mighty trumpet sound, what a time we'll have together, when the saints shall leave the ground, and our toiling will be in a moment Jesus Christ could come again